Hey everybody, it is Drags Mike Petralia back with another episode post cutdown day of the Jungle Roar podcast. I am joined by the one and only Richard Skinner. We know him better as Skinny. How you doing, Skinny of Local Twelve? You know, you know, Mike. I've, I've, I've often wanted to ask you this question. You go by Trags, but it's Petralia. Why don't you go by Trolls? So that's a very good question, and it goes back to my days in Indian Hill. And I'm going to give a shout out to Dan Kremchek, who is the brother of Doc Hollywood. That yes. would be Dr. Kremchek, um, a great uh, team physician of the Cincinnati Reds, among other entities in the um, local area. And uh, Danny Kremchek once uh, stopped me in the hallway and just shouted out, hey, Trags, what are you doing? Because he would always give me shit. It never failed. Every single day I showed up at high school, Danny was on my back. And he was the first one to call me Trags, and it stuck with me. And then it took a hiatus, all right? You never knew so much was in a name. I'm glad you asked, Skinny. So for my first, let's say, 15 years in Boston, no one, or eh, 10 years in Boston, no one called me that. And then all of a sudden, out of the blue, Ian Brown, who does a great job covering the Red Sox for MLB.com, yelled out to me in the press box, Trags, can you take care of this? Meaning cover uh, a press conference downstairs while he was doing something else. And I'm like, oh my God, I have not heard that in so <laughs> long. And then it grew and grew and grew. And by the time Twitter hit in 2009, everybody again in Boston knew me as Trags. So that's the story of Trags. I like it. There we go. I'm glad you asked. About that. I've been curious about that. Well, now you know. Now I know. Uh, uh, let's uh, talk, switch the focus to a lot we do and don't know about your 2022 Cincinnati Bengals. Uh, first of all, we're not going to have a new punter. Better teams have had bigger problems than worrying about who the punter is going to be. But in this particular case, I am curious as to why the Bengals went with a guy who clearly doesn't have the stronger leg. I mean, Drew Chrisman, if you watched him in training camp, watched him in practice, watched him in the games, he had the bigger leg. Yes. Um, and and the uh, obviously the company line from the Bengals on Tuesday after cutdown day from Zach Taylor was, we know the consistency we're going to get from Kevin Huber. Are you buying it? Yes and no. Um, I, I do buy the fact that coaches – Coaches believe in trust. You know that. I mean, they, if, if they trust the guy, it takes a lot for that player to not continue to warrant that trust. And I think in the case of Kevin, I think they absolutely trust. <clears throat> Maybe they don't trust him to hit a 50-yard punt, but they trust him to do, <clears throat> excuse me, they trust him to do everything right. They trust him to drop it inside the 20 when it has to yep. be. They trust him to hit a big punt when it has to be. They trust him to hold in a clutch situation. I, I think it just comes down to the trust factor. And in retrospect, looking at this, I, part of me thinks that this is, and you wrote about this, and I kind of agree with it, that it was hard to push maybe Mike Brown and, and those that have known Kevin a long time over the edge of cutting him if he wasn't awful in camp. So in retrospect, to me, it was – it was not more Drew trying to win the job. It was, all right, does Kevin have anything left? And if Kevin has anything left, we're keeping Kevin. Um, they are running the risk of losing Drew Chrisman. Um, yes. I think they probably will lose Drew Chrisman. If not, they're getting really lucky and they get a chance to stash him on, stash him on the practice squad. And if that's the case, I think at some point this year, if, he's, if he is on this practice squad and stays, because as you know, somebody could sign him to their active roster as the th thing goes along. If he stays, I think at some point this year, 
you'll see Drew Chrisman punting for the Bengals. I, I believe that. I just don't know what Kevin's got left in the tank. So I, in, like I said, in retrospect, I think it was more what Kevin's got to really stink in order for him to lose the job. I thought it was more, all right, let's see what the competition's like. Because as you mentioned, in the true competition, Drew was better. Um, we can argue directional things and all of that, and probably Kevin was better at that, but I think that's something Drew could get better at the more he did it. Um, so yeah, I, you're right. There, there are worse problems to have, but the more now I look back on this where I thought Drew had clearly won it, I think Kevin never lost it. And I think that was a big part of it. It was a Kevin's to lose, and Kevin didn't lose it. So uh, if that punt on Saturday against the Rams, that Chrisman hit of 65 yards, if it goes 61 and checks <laughs> at right. the four-yard line, that makes a statement, right? It's got to. Maybe and, not. And, and, Maybe and, it doesn't. And, 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 yeah, it, it probably doesn't, but I know your point because we all joked in the press box of, see, he punted it too far. And I, I said, I think to you even, I'm like, yeah. it's still a 45-yard net. I mean, it's not like 45-yard nets are awful, but yeah. you're right. A, a 64-yard net or a 62-yard net or a 58-yard net down at the seven looks a whole lot better than the team starting at the 20. And unfortunately, what happened after that? The Rams actually drove from the 20 for a touchdown. So maybe they don't do that inside the 10. Right. And, you know, again, we're talking about the punter situation, and that's our leadoff spot today. But there are other things that are facing the Bengals that I think are certainly, uh, as we record this on Wednesday morning, are going to garner some attention, namely the tight end position. Now, the Bengals, on their final 53, kept three tight ends. There's no surprise there. Hayden Hurst, uh, obviously Drew Sample, who's coming off a a left MCL injury, and he was running sprints, wind sprints, before the game Saturday. He is definitely pointing towards, if not a week one return, I'd say week two, week three, um, and certainly before the Thursday night game against Miami, I would think. And then Mitchell Wilcox, who has an ankle injury, he also sustained that uh, in training camp practices. Um, There is a report that the Bengals are going to bring in O.J. Howard, the former first-round draft pick out of Alabama uh, back in 2016. And I thought for all the world when O.J. Howard hit the NFL and hit Tampa Bay, he was going to be a monster. Bengals loved him. And then you thought, with Tom freaking Brady of all people, and O.J., there's no way O.J. Howard can miss with Brady as his quarterback, who loves to get the ball to tight ends. And he never materialized. So I'm very, let's wait and see about OJ Howard. First of all, if they bring him in and he passes a physical and all of that. And second of all, what is his attitude like? Because as we know, uh, it costs the bills over $3 million to cut the guy after signing the contract last year. Doesn't that tell you something skinny? Yeah, no, I'm with you. I mean, if you look at his production, it's gone down literally every year he's been in the league. Um, I wonder, because the question was asked of Zach Keller yesterday, who have you carried to the 53-man roster to put on IR, which then, I don't want to go through the weeds of this, but that allows you to bring that player back after a minimum of four weeks, as opposed to them missing the whole season. And he said Khalid Kareem, which we thought, and and Cam Taylor-Britt, which we thought. Well, maybe Drew Sample's in that mix, too. I mean, you mentioned, it, if we're looking at the Miami game as as the comeback game for for, for you know, these guys, for a couple of these guys, then maybe you did need to sign a tight end. Maybe he just missed a name yesterday, or maybe after yesterday they decided, let's not run the risk of this. Let's bring another body in. And maybe that's all this is, is just a literally a, a two or a three or four week placeholder just in case. Cause you have your starting tight end in Hayden Hurst. You are going to run some two right. tight end stuff, but 
it'll probably be minimal, especially if it's O.J. Howard. I think this is more of a safety valve than a than a 17-game solution at backup tight end, to be honest. Yes, and that's a great point. And the other thing to obviously keep in mind is this is low risk for the Bengals. I mean, it, they, the, the bill is already paid. Yes, right. By the bills. I mean, the Bengals don't have to worry about that $3 million um, not to crack. And, you know, in, in this particular case, why not bring him in, see if he's got anything at all. Maybe he clicks with Joe Burrow. Uh, maybe there's something that Brian Callahan can get through to him or Zach, either one and say, you know, we're not going to expose you a lot, but when we do use you on the field, here's where we think your strengths are best suited for our offense and, and move forward. I don't, I don't have a problem with that. No, I mean, seven to 10 snaps a game. If it comes to that for four weeks, and if it shows something in four weeks, then it is a long-term solution. If it doesn't, oh, well, we did, we needed a placeholder near the placeholder. Just, and, and I think it says something, too, about if they're going to IR somebody now at that position group, that yeah. Thad Moss is not the solution as a, as, a, as a second or third tight end. Justin Rigg, I mean, none of the guys on the roster were a solution at that position. They're you sure Justin Rigg isn't? Are you he's sure? My guy. He's a UK. He's a UK guy. He's my guy. And I'm glad he caught the touchdown and he's all happy. He's got the ball from that touchdown. And it's a cute story. But yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure about that. Yeah, it's too bad. But um, I actually I enjoyed watching this Bengals team in the preseason, at least the last two games. I'll tell you why. I thought that backup quarterbacks showed something, especially Jake Browning, even though he got cut, he could come back on the practice squad, obviously. But they were able to move the ball in must-have situations and that's what you want to see from your backups can they execute because so many times you see backups in preseason games not be able to do anything it looks ugly it's terrible they don't know what they're doing when i watched the you know jake browning uh in that final drive with about three minutes to go and they scored the go-ahead touchdown against the giants i raised my eyebrow and i was like but he put you know seven or eight nine plays together that look good uh look consistent same thing with the, the game on Saturday night. It's a preseason game, and nobody cares if you really win or lose. But the Rams had just cut it to 9-7, and you needed a response. And I thought Jake Browning did a terrific job eating clock, moving the team down the field, and then finding Justin Rigg on that touchdown uh, inside the red zone. Those are things that, to me, impress me about how well the team is prepared up and down the roster not just the stars not just the starters yeah and that drive was actually all on his back i mean it wasn't like he turned and handed it off 10 times and right. threw the last pass i mean that was a very pass heavy drive uh it's interesting because i do i do think he comes back on the practice squad uh we're taping this obviously probably just minutes before this this takes place right. but i would assume that and and um i was talking to somebody in the organization who talked about um, how much the wide receivers, like the Jamar Chases and T. Higgins, those guys love him as a set of eyes. That when he, they come off the field and, and on game day, he's he's not in uniform because he's on the practice squad. He's on the sideline. They come to him asking, "What did you see?" Apparently, he's like a savant-like dude with this stuff. Who's going to be a coach one day? So having a Jake Browning on your organization on your team, I, th- I think, is, is actually important. As goofy as it sounds, so some uh, again in the weeds stuff about the, the, the transactions of um, the practice squad versus um, the 53 man roster and why the Bengals kept Brandon Allen. They, they did not want to expose Brandon Allen because he would likely, he'd be a tr- uh, invested veteran. Yes, correct. He could sign anywhere. Whereas with uh, Jake Browning, they could waive him 
if he clears waivers, they can just simply bring him back on the practice squad. You can't, the other way around wouldn't work for them. And that's- yeah, and I, and, I, and, I, and I do think at the end of the day, as impressive as Jake Browning was in that series, Brandon Allen has skins in real games. Jake Browning does not. So I, it, Brandon's still your backup. I know it was a good storyline to talk about, and he certainly right. he did all he could do to, to push that envelope, but I don't think that envelope was ever open, to be honest. Biggest concern to me on this team is depth on the offensive line. I think yes. it's clearing. I think it's obvious. It's not depth in the secondary anymore, although uh, there are issues back there. But depth on the offensive line is a monstrous concern to me. Yeah. One and, of the, go ahead. Yeah, I'll just say, I go back to – I asked Zach that question at the end of OTAs. They, they had two open roster spots. I said, are you going to look to sign an offensive tackle? He gave a – I'm not – saying he gave the mumbo jumbo answer of we'll look at every position group right. blobbity blue because i really thought you got to bring a tackle in at least don't you and they didn't um the the three exactly. signings they made before camp were a defensive tackle a defensive end and a linebacker um none of whom made the team none of whom were going to make the team I, I i'm with you i'm I, I who do you trust as a backup tackle right now who do you trust as a backup guard do you trust Trey Hill as a backup center? Maybe they do, and maybe he's doing that. I don't. I don't know. But it, I guess as funny as it sounds, when camp started, that was probably my bigger worry than these other backup spots, and now it's probably my lesser worry than all these other backup spots. I don't think there's any question about that. Trey, when Trey Hill is, you're probably your most likely dependable backup along the offensive line. Hakeem Adeniji has skins in the game, and he um, obviously is a. Um, high round draft pick. Um, the team was well, not high round, but sixth round in 2020. But he's played, yeah, he's played, he's played, he's played, yeah. he's played in a Super Bowl, he started in a Super right. Bowl, right? Um, you're, you're talking about you know, not a lot of guys along that offensive line who have experience, and then um, obviously, we can't ignore the, the elephant in the room, Jackson Carmen, why he was kept. Everybody that I saw on Twitter, all the fans were screaming for him to be cut. Now, again, this has to do with the machinations of why of of cap of the NFL cap and why you cut players and why you keep players. The Bengals were not going to commit to the three million dollar cost like the Bills did on O.J. Howard. Bengals were not going to do that with Jackson Carmen like like the Raiders did with Alex Leatherwood. Yeah, And we can get to that as well. Um, you know, again, we haven't seen the complete uh, waiver claims come out yet. Right. And um, people are wondering, well, why the hell did you tape the pod today, Trags? But um, schedules are schedules, Skinny. We all know that. But anyway, no, I, I, I digress. Jackson Carmen, his future on the Bengals offensive line is? Maybe as a backup tackle guard. Uh, you know, they, he played tackle in college. I think that's the, the, the next maybe – yeah, lastest step to take. He's he doesn't look like he can play guard in the, in the can't league. move his feet. Can't, can't move his feet. It was funny because in OTAs and I know it was on air. I, you know, I watched a couple of plays and again they don't have helmets. They're on air. It's lighter. It's all those things. I I thought he looked noticeably more athletic. Now, unfortunately, when when you were you wanted to write something like that, the rape storyline. Uh, the alleged rape storyline was a thing, so you couldn't write glowing things about Jackson Carmen's athleticism while that was still hanging over everybody's head before we were able to ask him that question. Now it's kind of gone by the wayside because the question's been asked and somewhat answered by him. And I thought, okay, maybe you're getting it. And they plugged him in with the ones, and <clears throat> they, they wanted him to win the job, and they gave him every opportunity to win the job, and he didn't. And so now this is back-to-back years where he's kind of washed out after they've given him chances. And so now the next step is, okay, he was a tackle in college, Let's go that route and see what that's like. I don't think it's going to work out well, 
Um, yeah, I don't. I, I think the future is you better get better in a hurry um, because after this year into next year, at that point from the salary cap ramifications you're talking about, it's it's not negligible, but it's certainly more minimal than it is now. You better be better by next year, man, or you're out of you're out of this team. You're, you may be in the. I mean, Cedric Boy he's stuck in the league until yesterday somehow, some way for seven years. Um, so Fry Jackson can continue to find a home somewhere, but it's not going to be here. There are two ways usually you get through to a player like Jackson Carmen. One is through technique. One is through intensity. And I'm getting to Frank Pollock, the offensive line coach here. How much fire do you think Frank Pollock is under to get more out of some of the younger players? We, we know what the veterans are. We think uh, that they signed, obviously, the free agents, Lael Collins, Alex Kappa, right. and Ted Kares. We know what we're get, getting there. Uh, Volson is going to make rookie mistakes, but he looks like he has a competitive fire. And Jonah Williams is absolutely a known commodity. He's going to get beat, but every tackle in the National Football League gets beat on certain plays. But with a guy like Jackson Carmen, does Frank Pollock need to worry more about teaching the technique to the guy? Because what I see on film, Jackson Carmen doesn't play with a lot of, I hate using this because it's so ambiguous, but fire. He doesn't play with a lot of intensity. No, he doesn't finish reps. And if you don't finish reps, to me, Skinny, that's an indication that the guy doesn't have the fire in the belly. And if that's the case, you got to work more on his technique. You got to, you know, work on his hand placement, his foot movement, his technique, his get off, all of that. And that's what I wonder, you know, does Frank need to do more to get through to Jackson Carmen? I, I think Frank is a big technique guy. Most offensive line coaches are. I mean, that's what he's been praised for by Zach Taylor and those that he's gotten through to and the veterans right. who have come over. I think you have to look at the player in this case. And, you know, I, I think you have to look back at that draft and say, was that a Frank pick? Was that a Duke pick? Was that a above them pick? I mean, whose pick was that? If it was a Frank pick, well, then shame on Frank. If it was not a Frank pick and they said, no, we like this guy, you're going to have to make it work, well, then shame on them too, right? At that point, you know, you as a position coach, you can only do so much. Again, if you're the one that evaluated and you're the one that maybe stumped for him, well, then shame on you. That's on you. I don't get the sense that's the case with Frank and, and Jackson Carmen, in my opinion. See, that, that that's interesting to me. And, you know, if they could just get something out of Jackson Carmen, it would. They've, I think they've tried. Try. I, I. I think it's one of those that again. You, the next lastest step to me is. All right, let's get you back to your natural position and see if that works. I don't think it will. I just don't think football is important to him, and I've thought that for a long time. I, I important I, enough. Yeah, important enough. Correct. And and you know maybe it is. They've tried. I mean, to 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 run with the third string on your first day of training camp as a rookie as a second round pick. If that wasn't a slap in the face, what was? And then they gave you, they literally gave him this job in OTAs. I thought it was very symbolic. They had him running with the ones. You're our guy. Don't lose this job. We're giving it to you. Win it. You don't even have to win. Just don't lose it. And he lost it. And he lost it too. I don't even know if the guy's, I don't even know if Cordell Wilson's that much better yet. I mean, they throw, they're throwing, you talk about throwing something to the weeds here. You're taking a, 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 a guy who was a tackle at a small college and making him a guard and starting in the NFL against that Pittsburgh Steelers front in week one? Woo. Well, I do think, A, they feel like he's going to have help around him. Well, he's better than the guy that sucks. <laughs> better than Jackson Carmen right now. There's no question about that. Um, you know, he's not – we're not putting him in Canton, obviously, but no. I think Volson is somebody they think has the want to. 
and yes. has the desire and will not be intimidated. Again, he's going to get beat. He's going to whiff. He's going to do some of the things, some of the same things that Jackson Carmen's doing. And I think Jackson Carmen's going to wonder, well, I could have done that. And he's going to wonder to himself, well, why can I be that guy? Or maybe the Bengals want him to think that they want to piss him off. Do something. Hey, Jackson, do you have a competitive bone in your body? Fight for the job. Be angry. Do something. Show fire. And I just don't think they see that. What about Alex Leatherwood uh, of the Raiders, cut by the Raiders? That's a fascinating one. Some background there. He is a first-round draft pick out of Alabama, a tackle, offensive tackle. In 2021, you almost never see a first-round pick given up by uh, given up on by a team that drafted him two years in. Yeah, I mean, I, I know there was a national report yesterday. I can't remember. I think it was, it was uh, um, Albert Breer who, who reported that the, the Raiders called around the league. Now he said there were 32 no's. That would include the Raiders saying no to themselves. So there were 30, there were 31 no's they might have. Uh, in trade time. And maybe they did talk to themselves about a trade and they said, no, we're not going to trade him for, for ourselves. But there were apparently, you know, everybody in the league said no. Now there are some things with that too, because you're going to have to take the contract on. It, it's a rookie deal, but it's still money. Right. Um, you, you're obviously going to have to give something back in form of a draft pick, even if it's a late round pick. But I think it is telling that, a, a, that somebody's offering you a first round graded guy who, who was selected last year for whatever compensation level you wanted back on a rookie deal. We're not talking about taking $120 million guaranteed here. We're talking about taking a rookie deal and everybody, literally every team, the, the worst of the worst even said, nah, we're good. I, I mean, if that, if that doesn't that. speak volumes. The Bengals said no. Yes. The Bengals said no to that. The Houston Texans said no. The Jacksonville Jaguars said the bad teams said no. That's crazy to think, and I think it speaks volumes. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, all right, uh, we've talked about the backup quarterback, about the punter. I want to get to the secondary. Yeah. And one of the great feel-good stories as we wrap up here on the uh, Jungle Roar podcast, um, Alan George, the rookie out of Vanderbilt, undrafted rookie out of uh, Vanderbilt. Uh, he's your fourth corner, essentially, right now behind Eli Apple. We're assuming Eli is going to be ready for the Or Trey Flowers. Right. Uh, I give me time to oh, get. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Drags. Eli I'm sorry, Charles. <laughs> Eli Apple. Uh, that's not going to stick. Eli <laughs> no. Apple, Cheeto, uh, Trey Flowers, and then you have Alan George, right? At this point, uh, because and Mike, and Mike is on IR. Go ahead. Yeah, Mike Hilton's the slot guy. So yeah, you're talking outside. Yeah, and I'm yeah. not. When I say corners, I do mean guys on the outside. Yeah, not sure. Playing Mike Hilton on the outside. So. What do you think of Alan George? What impressed uh, you about him uh, in training camp in the preseason? Here's what impressed me. Okay, so he was really good leading up to preseason game one, right? It was kind of the story. Uh, I think Charlie Goldsmith of the Enquirer wrote a nice yeah, piece about him, a nice takeout about him. He was kind of the, the story. And then in preseason game one, he was not a disaster, but he had the defensive pass interference. He got beat on a couple routes. And you thought, okay, feel good story guy. Welcome to lights being on, and you're just yeah. not going to cut it. And he came back off of that game, and he was really good the last few weeks of not only camp, but then in preseason games. And that showed me, hey, he put that behind him. He he did what good corners do. And I'm not here to put him in the good corner category yet. He's just, he barely made this roster, and it's, it's great. Right. But that showed me a lot that, that you didn't play very well the first time the lights went on, and you shook it off, and then 
played great the rest of camp and in the last two preseason games. And maybe that showed something to the staff as well. So that's what it showed to me is, hey, you do good corners do. You have a bad day, bad round. I mean, remember Eli Apple last year? We were all on him. The fans were on him. He stunk for five or six weeks. He put it behind him, and he became really good until, unfortunately, the Super Bowl when he wasn't very good. But you forgot about Eli Apple for a while. I, I thought that said, said a lot to me about Alan George. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And, you know, it allays some of the concern anyway about depth in the corner. But if there's a corner out there, I think they still will absolutely welcome him in and, and acquire some veteran depth with experience. Go ahead. Lamar Parrish, go get him. Yeah, oh, we could have this conversation. OK, a little inside baseball, literally story here. Skinny and Butch Hobson got into it, got into a spirited debate about Lamar Parrish versus Ken Riley. I happen to believe that they both belong in the Hall of Fame for different reasons. Um, Lamar Parrish was the preeminent punt returner of his day in the NFL, yes. along with being a Pro Bowl freaking cornerback. Six of eight years in the Pro Bowl with the Bengals. There you go. And uh, Ken Riley's 65. All you have to say with Ken Riley is 65 to me. He's 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 going to get in, by the way, in February. I, that's my prediction. I, I'm with you on like that. And, and I'm not besmirching him by any stretch. I'm just more of a Lamar Parrish guy. Yeah, I, I understand this, but you would not have thought, you would have definitely thought you were besmirching him um, when we were at a gathering at a Reds game on Monday night. And uh, I had to almost, I almost thought about getting in between Skinny and Butch. He's my guy. Yeah, he, he knows he's my guy. Leap and Lamar. I, I, we need a, like, we need some color like that on this Bengals team. And we do have it with, with Jamar chase. I think yes. we have some personalities on this team to me, skinny, as we wrap up here, that's one of the fun things about covering this Bengals team is there's a ton of personality combined with a ton of skill. And there aren't really any bad apples in that locker room. I, that is something that sticks out to me. And to me, that does matter on a championship caliber team. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen other locker rooms in past years, um, with the Jesse Bates situation. Maybe they would have welcomed him back with open arms too. Maybe they would have understood the business side of it. But I think there would have been a couple of guys who wouldn't have understood that. I think this locker room fully understood it, fully understands what a leader he is um, and all those things and, and welcomed him back without even batting an eye. And it wasn't just team speak and player speak. I think that was truthfully the, the case. And you're right. I mean, I covered some Marvin teams where there were parts of the locker room you just didn't venture to, man. You just didn't do it. So... The bigger thing to me with, with regard to that is it would not in those teams you speak of, you know, years ago with the bank recent memory with the Bengals and Marvin Lewis, it would not have been player against player. I think the bigger concern would have been players against ownership. Yeah. Look what these players look what ownership is doing to Jesse. And then it would have become a nasty situation. And that's what the Bengals were able to avoid with this yes. is that the players bought into what, the ultimate goal is, and they weren't chippy about management, they, their whole company line was, it's business. It From Burrow right on down, this is business. We understand that. We're not going to, you know, um, get on management for what they have to do. We're not, obviously, we're going to support Jesse. And that's the reason to me it was able, uh, this was able to kind of work itself out, uh, at least for a one-year tag. Yeah, agreed. But you're right about the locker room. It is a... Uh... It's one where you venture into, and I mean, you got guys playing ping pong, guys playing this crazy card game in the back, some guys who go do their own thing, and, and they let them do their own thing, but it is, it's a, it's a comfortable place to go, and I've been in a few of those where it's very uncomfortable. All right, 
Well, they also have cornhole. They have a great yes, cornhole. I forgot about that. You're right. They do. You're right. Yes, they do. And you walk right through it. It's 27 feet apart. You know that, Skinny. Those, those are the rules of cornhole. Yeah, I, I want to be the guy one time to reach up and grab one of the bags and just throw it back at a player and see how that works. Given your athletic acumen, I'm sure you would do that with <laughs> great. great. Um, he is uh, Richard Skinner of Local 12. You can follow him at Local 12 Skinny. I got that right on Twitter, right? You did. Uh, anything else you want to plug, Skinny? Um, no. Uh, high school sports. I'd love you to get that out there. Yeah, um, I, I'm a big high school sports fan. I we I do some games for ESP Media. Um, we do the Eastern Cincinnati Conference sports. I do a lot of them. Uh, got a football game this Friday with with Kings and Walnut Hills that I will be doing, and some games for Star 64 as well. So yeah, I'm a big. I, I coach high school basketball. I love high school sports in general, but uh, it's it, it it doesn't put all the uh, the bread on the table. So I have to do do something a little more formal. He is the one and only Richard Skinner. Uh, Skinny, thanks for joining me. And uh, here's to a fun uh, and eventful 2022 Bengals season. Trials, thanks for having me, man. As always, you're a good dude. <laughs> All right. Take care, Skinny. Bye, man. All right. That is uh, the Jungle Roar podcast for this week. Follow me on YouTube and subscribe to my Jungle Roar podcast. We'll have complete coverage throughout the season.